Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won Mm. some battles, but we still have a lot more work to do. Today, we're bringing back the Ryan Report with Swing Left's campaign director, Ryan Quinn. We talked to Ryan about the recent census data, what it all means for the rising American electorate, redistricting, and our work in the midterms. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We Win. Win. Really great information from Ryan. Um, We have new data that just came out from the census, finally, that we've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. And uh, and while we don't have all the redistricting completed yet um, and won't for a while now still, we get some great insight from Ryan about what to expect and the changes in the demographics of the electorate. And um, make sure you stick around for the Ryan report. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. And I want people to listen to it and think about their own communities. Because um, one thing I've been thinking a lot about it, you know, redistricting, the process has started. In every state, it's it's being done differently. And, and that's, you know, one of the problems is <laughs> it's being done one way in Democratic leaning states and, and in Republican states another way. But in a lot of places, they're open to the public weighing in on how they're going to handle redistricting. And if that's the case in your state, I strongly encourage you to sign up for one of the town halls or surveys or whatever is happening in your state um, and get involved in this. Um, Because we, you know, we only have so much control over the redistricting process. But if you can, if you, particularly if you're in a Republican state and you can sway um, the commission in in some sort of direction, that's helpful it, because we need to do everything that we can to hold on to the majority in the House uh, coming up next year. That's couldn't be more important advice to give to everybody. And like you said, it's different in every state. So depending on where you're uh, consuming this podcast right now, um, f- find out how you can get involved. But Please, please do. We'll add that to our to-do list for this week, too, because um, we do have uh, a say in some some of these places. Mm-hmm. We, we can make an impact there. Yeah, not totally powerless. Um, not other- totally powerless. That's, you know, <laughs> it's going to be my epitaph. <laughs> oh, my bar is so low. Um, um other big news that I, we saw earlier today as we're recording this um, is that the Pfizer vaccine has gotten full FDA approval. Yeah, this is really great news. Um, and we've seen vaccination rates go up in the recent weeks. Um, thankfully, more people are getting vaccinated. This has been kind of a mantra for a lot of people who have been hesitant about the vaccine is that mm-hmm. um, they wanted to wait until it got full approval, that it only had emergency approval. And um, so uh, we'll see if this is if that was an excuse and now they're going to change that that line again, or if they'll actually um, go out and get vaccinated. It's also leading the way to um, uh, for more max vaccine mandates now that uh, it's mm-hmm. there. The uh, federal government is mandating yeah. vaccines. The military is the now military as well. Is now, yeah. yeah. So 
a very positive development in our fight against this global pandemic. Yeah. And uh, in another front on the the pandemic fight, uh, something interesting happened over the weekend. Um, Trump had a rally encouraged people there to get you vaccinated. start by saying trigger warning before you... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. He, <laughs> he encouraged people to get the vaccine and he got booed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is an, this happened in Alabama, um, which has a low vaccination rate. Um, this is a little... This is... I think it's worth mentioning um, because it's, it's not the sign of any sort of, you know, sea change against Trump. But it's another indication that, you know, this um, monster that he's created yeah. is, is he, he may not be as in control of it as he thought. This is a very like Island of Dr. Moreau type feel where, <laughs> you know, Trump egged on all these people and, and you know, um, told them that this was all, you know, a hoax and, right. um, and, and that, you know, the most important thing out of all anything was their freedom and, and the Democrats were going to take that away from them. And now that, that he's, you know, actually for once saying something that makes sense, the crowd turns on him. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. It really is like this thing he's created has become bigger and is even out of his control. So I, I, I that struck me the exact same way. I love the, yeah. the Island of Dr. Moreau reference too. Um, when you see Trump at a rally talking about taking the vaccine and everyone booing him, God, it's just so frightening and stirring. Like, you know, like this monster he's created is really out of control. So. And we're not referring to the individual people as monsters. I mean, we've talked on the podcast before about you have to feel sorry for people because they've had the sh- the wool pulled over their eyes. They've really been conned by by Trump for years, and he doesn't. You know, I'm sure it, it's a, a knock to his ego, but he's still getting so much money from these people, oh, and yeah. that's really what he cares about. Um, so, you know, it's sort of this, the, the monster is this idea that, and, and this sort of frenzy that he's whipped people up into that is, that is absolutely going to spin out of control. But what happens when the cult no longer listens to their cult leader? You know, mm. I mean, it's, uh, I think that's fairly unprecedented, right? Yeah. But, um, it's a great question. We'll see more on, more on that later, but, um, let's stop talking about Trump, shall we? And let's talk about our hero of the week. All right. My hero of the, our hero of the week that I'm pushing for this Yours. week is um, reporter Clarissa Ward from CNN, who stayed in Afghanistan as the Taliban was fully taking over the country and did an amazing job reporting on, on what she saw. And of course, the garbage pail kid of Texas, Ted Cruz, um, put put her in his crosshairs and it just it stated some inaccurate things that I think are, are very dangerous. Um, for this woman to be reporting uh, and interviewing um, and talking to, to members of the Taliban as as they're coming into Kabul was incredibly brave and important because it gave us a clear picture of what exactly was happening there. Um, to 
accused this person of carrying water for the Taliban was just the latest in a long list of monstrous things that that he did. And let me tell you, this is the same guy who, as we all know, power went out in Texas. He went on vacation in Cancun. Mm. Trump insults his wife. He says, what can I do for you, Mr. Mr. Trump? Right. Uh, just a, the, a, a coward who can't help himself. So thanks to Clarissa Ward for continuing to do that reporting even when, you know, rabid Ted Cruz supporters were howling at her and and the coverage that she was bringing us. It's a great, great person to highlight. Clarissa Ward, our hero of the week. Let's talk about our reasons for hope. What's your reason for hope this week, Steve? Well, I was going to put this on as one of our news items, but then I realized this really is my reason for hope. Mm. Uh, And again, you know, the result of so much great work by activists and volunteers and simply, you know, what happens when you elect Democrats and elect someone to office who is um, actually working on behalf of people who need need help. Um, The U.S. Department of Education announced Thursday it will cancel $5.8 billion in student debt for more than 320,000 borrowers. Wow. The debt forgiveness, which will go to borrowers with the total and permanent disability, will be automatically granted using data already available to the Social Security Administration. So people should start seeing relief in September. The Education Department said it also plans to stop asking these borrowers to continue sharing earnings data after they receive the relief. So we've been fighting, uh, so many people have been fighting for student debt relief for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a great step. Once again, we have more work to do, um, you know, but uh, certainly for uh, people who have a, uh, a disability and aren't able to work and pay off that student debt, this is a huge, huge meaningful relief for them and really gives me hope that we can continue this work to alleviate the crushing student debt that so many people experience right now. Very exciting and a great reason for hope. What's your reason for hope, Mariah? Uh, So my reason for hope uh, comes courtesy of I'm going to call him a friend of our podcast, uh, Senator Senator Chris Murphy. So he's on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. They're launching an investigation into the Afghanistan withdrawal and what went wrong. Now, Senator Murphy is committing to a broad look at what led up to last week's disaster. I think this is, um, you know, when we talk about moderate voters who we need to to turn out in the midterms, this is gonna be really important for them to see that a Democratic-led House and Senate are going to hold the administration accountable when things don't go so great. But you can't look at what happened last week and not look at what happened for the last 20 years and what the last few administrations did that led up to the fallout from, from the troop withdrawal in Afghanistan, particularly the negotiations that the Trump administration, um, had with the Taliban um, as right. they initiated the withdrawal. So what happened was it, it didn't it didn't go well. But we were on a path towards that for two decades. And to figure out 
what went wrong and give the American public a full picture of that is, I think, really important and will uh, help with what we're going to talk to Ryan about um, in a few minutes, this um, idea of, you know, making sure that voters have a clear picture of what the Biden administration is is doing leading up to the midterms. Great. Friend of how we win, Chris Murphy, is on the case. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> He's always on the case. He's great. He is. He is. One of my faves. All right. Well, let's talk about this week's to-do list. We talked a little bit about people getting involved in, in redistricting in their in their home states. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked before about um, the Republican recall attempt that's happening right now in California. Ballots are out. Voting has started. Um, and there is some work to do around um, reaching out to, to voters in California so that when Republicans across the country see us reject this recall attempt, they will not be tempted to bring this into uh, other mm. other states. Yeah, really great point. Uh, Melinda, Lucy, and myself all mailed in our ballots, voting no on question one. I've been getting a lot of people asking me about the second question on the ballot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's two questions. The first one is, do you support the re- the recall of Gavin Newsom? The answer to that is no, I do not. And the second one is, who would you have instead? And there's a huge list of candidates on there. So I've been getting a lot of people asking me, you know, shouldn't we pick one of those candidates as a strategic alternative should the recall uh, mm. go forward? The answer to that is no. You should leave that blank and spend the time that you would spend doing research on one of those uh obscure and um, and not viable candidates to call some more friends to make sure that everyone you know votes no on question one. There is no viable candidate on question two. There is only disaster if we don't get 50% plus one on question one. So spend your time calling. We'll put the link to the phone banks that are um, that are up that the California Democratic Party's doing and spend your time letting all of your friends know about that. And while you're at it, uh, tell your friends in California and across the country about this podcast. That's not the other item on our to-do list is to uh, share how we win with three friends, text them a link to this podcast, tell them about all the great information that you're getting out of it and the action items that you execute every week, (laughs) making you feel like a hero for democracy. Uh, Let them know so they can feel it too. Yeah, powerful pitch for Pod Blast Summer. I love it. (laughs) And, And just a quick programming note um mariah and i are actually going to be guest hosting next week a couple of episodes of the daily beans podcasts so if you don't subscribe over there check out the daily beans we'll be on there filling in for allison and dana um while they're on break and uh that's so fun i feel like the I feel like we're the B team at MSNBC or something like (laughs) jumping in on someone's show, you know? Uh, I love it. Um, So people can get a triple dose of us next week. Oh, you're going to have so much of us next week if you want it. (laughs) If it's there for you, if you want it, I'm not going to blame you if you're just good with the one. That's fine too. But before you do that, make sure you take a listen 
to our interview with uh, Ryan Quinn. Ryan Quinn is a political analyst and is Swing Left's campaign director. He leads Swing Left's political endorsement strategy for candidates and is always a wealth of information and insight into political trends. Ryan, thank you for bringing back the Ryan Report. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So I want to jump right into it because there's been uh, new census data that was released recently. And uh, while states haven't drawn new maps yet, uh, there is some uh, new information we have. What key information from that are you looking at? What are your takeaways from the census right now? Yeah, so there's so much that the census uh, you know, uh, Bureau released uh, on uh, August 12th from the, the demographics of the country as a whole um, to what certain areas of the country are growing, what, what are shrinking, and you know what our, our country really looks like. Um, and you know I think that one of the key areas of many that we saw is increasingly uh, you know the, the country is moving in a, a more diverse direction um, mm. almost more quickly than we expected. Um, mm. and if we look at not just overall percentages, but in some of how the, the wording of the census um, was done this year, um, the overall uh, number of you know white Americans dropped for the first time. Um, in the country's history, um, not just in terms of a percentage, but also in raw numbers. And so we're seeing um, an increasingly diverse country as we as we knew. Um, and mm-hmm. we're also seeing it kind of at a, at a more uh, probably, a you know, a slightly faster rate than we expected going into you know this decade. You know, another piece uh, that's incredibly important as we're seeing is the increasing urbanicity uh, and suburban portions of the American um, public and the American electorate growing. Mm. And so, you know, one of the also the key findings um, of the, the census uh, data was not just that those urban and suburban areas of the country are growing, but actually, uh, you know, 50 percent of counties across the country actually lost um, you know, population in the last decade, um, which shows that, you know, kind of this uh, this newer electorate, this newer kind of power center of American politics, as we've seen kind of uh, in trending towards you know, a more diverse, more suburban, more urban electorate is kind of backed up by that census data. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that's going to be, you know, really important, obviously, uh, electorally, but also just in terms of the kind of soul of the country of uh, where we see, uh, you know, the country going um, in the decades to come. Um, that's not to say, obviously, um, that, you know, we uh, are going to stop paying attention to the needs of, you know, rural Americans across the country. That's not to say that, um, you know, that, uh, clearly, those are really important areas that that facilitate agricultural sector, um, so much of the the country's economy um, that has uh, you know kind of been lost in some of the recent decades. But um, it just goes to show that you know where we are now resembles kind of what we've seen as this kind of future America more so than it does uh, potentially for the last uh, couple of decades. Yeah, it's so exciting. We'll be, we've been talking about the. Rising American electorate or the new American electorate, you know, for a long time, and to see this data come out that not only backs that up but shows how quickly that's happening is really, really exciting. One thing that that happened, um, the the census was delayed um, Mm -hmm. by a number of factors, primarily the pandemic, um, but also it was being run by the Trump administration, and um, they weren't quite on the ball, so. Um, it, it the numbers have come out months and months and months later than we expected. What's the impact of that going to be? 
It's a great question. Um, so as we, you know, we've been waiting for this data um, that came out uh, just, you know, a week and a half ago for over six months, I believe. Um, and you know, so that has been um, a huge delay in terms of how states um, are going to be able to draw uh, congressional mm -hmm. and legislative maps. But, you know, I think that it was really important that we got all of this right, um, because not only was there were there concerns about the data because of the pandemic, um, but, you know, if we go back to you know 2019, um, way back when, uh, <laughs> when the Trump administration was considering adding a question around citizenship, um, right. that was uh, you know predicted to uh, really decrease the level of self-reporting from uh, you know Latinx residents across the United States. Luckily, you know from what we've seen uh, at the you know in terms of where different areas have grown, um, you know, where we've seen population growth versus where we've seen population loss. It doesn't look like there has been a systemic underreporting um, of uh, Latinx residents across the country. Mm. But um, that was a clear, really important point to make sure that the data the Census Bureau was reporting was not just correct, but it was, uh, you know, clearly walked through by the, you know, the new administration as well. But all that means that we are clearly going to have a condensed um, cycle in terms of when new maps are going to get drawn. It means right. that we're going to have a condensed election cycle in 2022 in terms of recruiting new candidates, um, in terms of making sure that they're able to make the ballot. Um, where we may see some previously scheduled uh, primaries have to be pushed back. Um, yeah. and, and that will create um, you know, kind of uh, a lot of disorder for a lot of different candidates across the country. Hopefully, you know, what we are seeing is that people are still staying engaged uh, early on. And so it's, it's really a matter about of identifying areas that we assume will have competitive districts district drawn in them um, before we actually get those maps so that we can be prepared for, um, you know, a, a really condensed cycle uh, in 2022. But that, that kind of timeline is the biggest kind of implication of this delay um, from the Census Bureau. Yeah. And it's and it's especially makes uh, your job specifically and yeah. our work at Swing Left <laughs> especially challenging because, of course, we don't get involved in primaries. Um, and with those primaries being delayed, you know, it means we're really going to have to hit the ground running once we have those candidates. Um, can you talk a little bit about your process for choosing the candidates that we work with at Swing Left? Yeah, so it, it varies depending on, you know, kind of the level of the ballot that we're looking at. Um, you know, for instance, uh, 2022 will be the first year that, um, you know, uh, we're supporting gubernatorial candidates across the, uh, the country. Um, currently, we have a list of three um, uh, governorships that we're focused on in 2022. Um, that includes Florida, Georgia and Wisconsin, um, as well as our ongoing work in Virginia. But selecting, you know, target races at the gubernatorial level is much different than it would be at the congressional level. The reasons for that are that gubernatorial elections are actually quite famous for not following the same levels of partisanship um, that uh, we mm. see at congressional elections. Uh, we can look at, you know, Andy Bashir being elected in as the you know, governor, a Democrat um, in deep red Kentucky. We can look on the other side at Charlie Baker, uh, you know, a Republican being elected in one of the bluest states in the country in Massachusetts. And so when we look at governorships, um, it's a lot about not just the national political context, um, but also how different candidates uh, work in different states. But when we look at congressional races, um, it's much more about the partisanship of the district or of the state, you know, if we're looking mm -hmm. at the Senate. Um, than it is about uh, you know any individual traits of the the candidates themselves. 
that makes uh, redistricting the number one most important thing we can look at when it comes yeah. to the competitiveness of a district. Right. Because um, you're basically looking call, at registration totals, right? It's registration, uh, but also, you know, what we've seen, um, particularly over the last, you know, five years or so is some electoral realignment. We've seen a lot of, in certain areas of the country, more Republican-leaning electorates um, voting for uh, Democrats in, in some areas. And we've seen a lot, mm. you know, primarily more suburban areas and in more rural areas where we've seen, you know, kind of an erosion of the Democratic brand um, over time. Um, we've seen a lot of areas like rural Wisconsin, for example. Um, you know, we've seen, regardless of the number of Democrats registered there, um, it's been moving to the right. So it's not just about registration. It's also about how, um, you know, those voters actually vote. Um, which we can see from you know, merging the the different census data um, with the um, you know, electoral results um, or those. Which, by areas. the way, I'm grateful there's people like you who do that because I, you know, that's, I know. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of, of data merging. to analyze. Yeah, um, I mean, you're you're talking about the the congressional midterms. You're bringing up uh, some great points because it's this is going to be a little bit complicated for us. You know, traditionally. <laughs> Um, after a party wins the presidency, then, you know, the the electorate kind of swings in the opposite direction for the next midterms. Uh, and some pollsters have been painting a fairly bleak picture of Democrats' chance, chances in the midterms. Uh, there have also been some key retirements in swing districts that especially impact our work to hold on to the House, where the margin is very thin. How's all this looking to you, um, and what are the, the key things you're going to be keeping an eye on? Yeah, so the number one key thing is redistricting and just how the map is going to get uh, drawn mm -hmm. in you know, the 46 different states that have multiple congressional districts. Mm -hmm. um, those, those 46 states will really determine you know, what the playing field looks like in 2022 and also for the next decade, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so the first thing we're going to look at is how Republicans are trying to draw themselves into the majority. Right. Um, what we have seen um, just in terms of how Republicans hold control of Texas, Georgia, Florida, um, and North Carolina, um, which are going to be kind of ground zero of redistricting fights for this year. We're going to see that they're going to be able to add um, seats to, to their delegation um, just for those district, those states alone. Um, Democrats are also going to be able to add districts um, in states they control, like New York, um, Illinois, and Maryland, uh, most likely. Um, and so the net effect that we're kind of seeing in terms of redistricting is likely going to be that Dem uh, Republicans will able will be able to draw themselves, um, you know, kind of into a 50-50 shot with Democrats um, mm -hmm. just through redistricting alone. Um, you know, the next thing that will come after that, obviously, is how Democrats are perceived nationally um, right. and just in terms of, you know, what the political dynamics are going to be um, at that time. You know, what we've seen lately has been, um, you know, kind of a, a bit of stalling from Democrats at the national level in terms of moving along their legislative agenda. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, has coincided with a couple um, of really difficult moments for the administration around um, the pullout from Afghanistan. Right. Um, and, you know, the surge of the Delta variant. And so, you know, what we've seen is that, you know, Democrats are kind of in a more defensive posture at the moment going into 2022, um, you know, than they might have been at the, the beginning of this year. And what that means for us is really making sure that we're not only, um, you know, kind of going after some of these really 50-50 seats that will get drawn, 
um, but also making sure to, to support Democratic incumbents um, in some of the swingier districts uh, that may have voted for Biden in 2020, but may have also voted for Trump in, in 2016. Um, so making sure that we're playing both a, a swing districts and, and also a little bit more of a defensive field in, in 2022 um, will be really the key to making sure that we're able to hopefully keep uh, control of Congress. Yeah, so those are the main things that we're watching um, going into the cycle. It makes sense. And it just reinforces, you know, no matter what, how it shakes out, we have a lot of work to do. Like, you know, it, it and, and what is has always been so empowering and exciting about working with Swing Left has been that we work on those close races where every phone call, door knock, money, you know, that donated is going to really make an impact on those races. So um, everyone's got to stay engaged and, and, and get out there because uh, the midterms are, are going to be the most important election of our lifetime yet again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think that looking at this year's midterms, um, you know, it is uh, certainly a more kind of existential question around American democracy than there have been in, you know, midterm cycles past. I think that, you know, typically we view presidential elections, um, you know, kind of as a referendum on, you know, where the country is going um, and where the country, uh, what kind of politics the country espouses. And I think that if we look at this midterm cycle, what we're seeing is, um, you know, really a, a fight within the Republican Party around, um, you know, what is the value of American democracy um, mm-hmm. and whether they're not they are willing to, you know, essentially act to subvert American democracy for political gain against the Democratic Party um, that really is acting as one of the last kind of bastions of, you know, support for American uh, democratic <laughs> values. And I think that it just is a a huge contrast to what we've seen in previous midterm cycles that have been about, you know, the economy or, uh, you know, really about a referendum on a president's first couple of political or policy related initiatives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in this cycle, we're we're asking much more existential questions around Mm -hmm. the the value of democracy rather than a, a particular policy that's enacted. Right. Great point. Um, so you're going to give us our marching orders in the coming months. (laughs) So we'll be on, on standby for that. And you've done a great job of kind of walking us through, uh, how you're planning on, on doing that in a very smart and data driven way. And, you know, data aside, um, what is giving you the, the most hope for our work moving forward from here? Yeah, I think that there there are a lot of things that I can point to, um, and I think that one of the the most inspiring so far has been that I think that we all expected a huge drop off of attention, of of energy, of you know, of really just reading the news. Um, I think like after um, you know we were able to uh, to elect President Biden and to defeat Trump at the ballot box. I think that what I have been, you know, kind of inspired by is seeing a lot of people really continue to be engaged, um, to continue um, understanding the stakes of politics without kind of the incessant level of, you know, rage or of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, attention grabbing um, that mm-hmm. we saw over the last four years. And I think it's really easy for, um, you know, a lot of people to be able to tune out essentially now. Um, But what we've seen has really been a lot of people stepping up and uh, continuing to push themselves to to learn more, to stay engaged and to continue working to to make sure that 
were really able to improve the country on a lot of different bases. Yeah. That's so great. And it's really helpful full to hear, you know, I I moved earlier this year and uh, and I'm in a new place and I'm starting over and it's hard to tell when you you know you don't know what's going on like how engaged people still are. And I I'm excited that I have to, you know, start somewhere new and and meet like the local activists and get plugged <laughs> in. That that is always fun. Um, although it's it's been daunting, but to hear that um, you know the work is still continuing and and people are uh, just as excited, engaged. It's been so long, um, <laughs> um, and you know I think that what any veteran activist will tell you is the work really never ends. Yes, it's been so long because so many people have been doing it all their lives, um, but this moment in, in particular has been so long. So. I just am so appreciative um, uh, for your for your message today and the work that you that you're doing. Yeah, ditto. What Mariah said. Also, I'll add we didn't get a chance to really talk about it, but we've been talking a lot about Virginia, mm-hmm. and um, you know, among the many reasons why uh, it's important to hold on to that trifecta, it's such a bellwether for what we see in the midterm. So we'll be able to really take a look at the engagement um, uh, that we have in Virginia and uh, and see how that's going to translate to the midterms too. Yeah, we are absolutely excited about Virginia. And, you know, I think that especially over the next couple of months, um, we'll start to get new maps out in many different states across the country. And we'll start to get a a much clearer picture of uh, 2022. So look forward to continuing to talk about this with you guys and um, continue to inform everybody in the the swing left audience um, just around how we can continue to stay engaged for 2022. All right, Ryan Quinn, thank you so much for another great Ryan report. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. How are you staying engaged this year? We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at Steve and at Mariah underscore Craven or send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. And of course, let everyone know you are listening. This is Pod Blast Summer, so share our show with three friends. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer while you're there. We really appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday.